Chapter 7 The Occasional Bark of What Must Have Been a Dog I stuck my head out the window of Aileen's Tywood Mansion's flat to see two free pigs, strange genetic cocktails, easily over 350 kilograms, big ears, straight snouts, and that specifically curious air of anger and intelligence that belongs to the free pig. As they picked up speed, a small street dog, a black and brown brack, compact and wiry, likely full of rabies, fell in behind them. As my eyes adjusted to the new vista, they slowly accepted no colors, no messages, no accents, no shading. I ran into Tywood Avenue, then jerked right and ran uphill for another 50 meters. No people, no movement, just the alarms, just the brown, and the occasional bark of what must have been a dog. This is an excerpt from Dub Steps, a novel about an anti-hero who finds himself in a post-apocalyptic Johannesburg. In his world, there is no one in sight along the streets of Rosebank suburbia. Just roaming pigs and the occasional bark of what must have been a dog. This is a scene so easy to imagine during a lockdown. But such we've seen on the net in recent days. Baboons filling up a square in India, llamas in Scandinavian cities, and even a slightly clearer air to smell because of lesser industrial activity. For this episode, I took dub steps off the shelf and reached out to its author, Andrew Miller. And ours wound up being a freestyle about the changed nature of storytelling during the COVID era and how this period is a numbers game devoid of context, as well as whether there'll be any form of moral framework when it comes to domestic employment. I am Kahisom Nisi, and this is Checking In. Most of us sometimes look at past creative work and think to ourselves, mm, maybe I could have edited that sentence a bit more. Too many metaphors fighting for attention in it. That rethinking as it applies to the 2015 novel Dubsteps is not by someone who takes himself way too seriously. Andrew Miller is a guy who has a wicked sense of humor. The whole dubsteps thing is interesting. People keep sending me these clips of animals kind of reclaiming urban spaces and so on, which some of which are supposed to be true and some of which are supposed to be fake and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's a fascinating and enjoyable little kind of um, glimmer of light for dubsteps. If I look at it now, I think it's intriguing to me how quickly nature can reclaim a space. When I wrote dubsteps, I kind of had this imagined time frame that was quite slow and extended. But now, when we just look at what what's happening uh, as people have headed indoors. It really does seem to happen very quickly. The growth of plants, um, the emergence of uh, wild animals into urban spaces and so on. So I guess if I had to write dubsteps again, from this perspective, I would make the takeover of nature uh, of the world a lot quicker. I would make it happen at a lot more accelerated time frame. The theater that is COVID-19 has one thing working for it numbers. The numbers of infection that increase daily, the number of people facing unemployment, the number of online clicks on anything tethered to the hashtag corona. Numbers. 
numbers. And one of the most interesting things is, I guess, the uh, in the absence of sport and all the scorecards having been removed from our lives, just how prevalent numbers are uh, in the media landscape, which fascinates me because it, one of the golden rules of PR is if you want to get play in the media, wrap whatever message you're sending out there in numbers. Um, people love numbers. They kind of convey a sense of meaning and logic. And so, yeah, I've been intrigued to watch the scorecard, the COVID-19 scorecard kind of evolving on cable news and how there's just this relentless avalanche of numbers kind of conveys this idea that we might be able to make sense of what's going on, even though we understand very little of the numbers coming at us. Uh, only the high-end experts understand these numbers, and even them, you know, they seem to be fairly lost. Uh, yeah, so it's just intriguing to watch the new scorecard of being a human being, and one wonders when this current sort of number framework is going to be replaced by sport again. As we've kept our eyes on the screens, performance has been abundant. Influencers doing their thing, celebrities doing their thing as well. Except it's all been static. The only dynamic being talking heads centered in the middle of a frame for a live stream. Is there room for subversion? And most of all, a live performance ready for an age where there isn't a cue that flashes applause to their sitting audience. It's fascinating to watch performers without their audiences and to see the new dynamics that are kind of evolving as this thing goes on. And clearly some performers are much more tightly bound to the audience relationship in the nature of their performance and kind of need that audience there in order to be the kind of compelling act that they are. And others can kind of operate successfully from lockdown. You know, your kind of black coffee DJ mixes or your Stogie Tea kind of freestyles. People like that seem to be quite successful at kind of carrying on. And, and then on the other hand, you've got the likes of John Oliver and Last Week Tonight. You know, which it, it's been really interesting to watch his show, which is quite formulaic in its essence. And to see him doing his show without an audience and to see how much of his kind of atmosphere and performance relies on that audience relationship for its vibrancy. Uh, in the absence of an audience, a lot of his jokes don't really work and you don't get the up-tempo kind of uh, sort of wave, up and down kind of laughter effect uh, of his satire. Uh, his show seems to have fallen particularly flat and it's interesting that someone like him and his team with their vast resources have chosen not to try and innovate and take a new opportunity to do something structurally different but they've just kind of plotted along with their formula even though he lacks an audience. And I think over time, this could be kind of damaging to his show and his personal brand. And I think his situation is kind of like a, a mirror on, on the situation that a lot of performers are facing. How do you move forward uh, as a performer, as a professional performer, when you don't have access to your fans? You know? And so is Lady Gaga, for instance, as compelling, sort of tinkling away on her piano in her lounge as she is in a 100,000-person stadium in a wearing a meat dress? You know, and what may the implications be for, for, for her and then for, for the general sort of realm of uh, entertainers and celebrities? In the run-up to the lockdown, it was highlighted almost everywhere that domestic workers are one of the most vulnerable groups in the labor sector, facing an uncertain future amid COVID-19. One of these long-standing challenges predating COVID-19 even is plain old simple dignity, being treated 
as the human beings that they are. As the virus has kind of rolled out in South Africa about domestic labor and morality, it's like one of the first times domestic employers have had to think actively about whether the way they are engaging with their domestic employees is moral. Is it right? What is the right thing to do? You never hear that when people talk about how they interact with domestic employees. You know, what you hear is, what is the market rate? You know? <laughs> so the, the abundance of labor and the dirt cheap nature of it always, to me, seems to be the only force at play from the perspective of employers. I wonder now that we're starting to think morally, at least for a short moment in time, whether that will stick in South Africa or whether when we go back to post-lockdown life, the market rate for uh, domestic labor will be the only thing that matters. Uh, will we lose our questioning of, is this the right thing to do? The lockdown period is a time to reflect and start thinking about how we should see each other's value, human, plant, animal considered. It is also a time to tinker, to experiment with how we express ourselves uniquely, with the knowledge that we need not all be doing the same thing, the same way. And this is the time to lean into curiosity. This podcast wouldn't be a real mixtape if I didn't thank the community of open source beat makers. In this instance, Rod Hamilton and Tiffany Seal, as well as Kabbalistic Village. I brought the rhymes and they the beats. I am Kahisom Nisi. This has been Checking In. On the next episode of Checking In, we go to Berlin to have a spirited conversation with the founder of the radio station Reboot FM, Diana McCarty. We talk about how she and her team have navigated the COVID-19 broadcasting challenges and more. People are still creative. People do things online. It makes the work of Reboot more important. And I have to say, it's our, our volunteers were really smart. So, like, we are getting the shows from our producers. The radio makers send us things over the internet. We are able to broadcast. So we were able to very quickly jump to an online operation. 